Hi, listeners. We have an interesting guest for you today. His name is Brandon Novak. He was in the MTV Jackass movie series and on the hit television show Viva La Bam. He skated professionally with Tony Hawk and is celebrating four years without any drugs or alcohol. He's here to tell us his story and um, take some questions that he didn't know I was going to bring up on the show, but it was fascinating to get his response about something like social media addiction. Thanks for tuning in. I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this, intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Brandon Novak, thank you so much for coming on Mental Health News Radio. Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And as I said to you before we started, um, Aaron Huey with Beyond Risk and Back had a great time with you on his show. So thanks for doing that as well. Absolutely. I'm grateful that anybody, uh, you know, is interested in what I have to say about things these days. (laughs) So thank you for that. You're welcome. You're very welcome. So tell our listeners a little bit about why you're out there, you know, doing a lot of shows and, um, and getting the word out. And what's, what's the passion behind this for you? Yeah. Uh, the, the fuel that lights the fire per se. Right. I was that guy that was deemed unhelpable or unfixable. Mm. Um, you know, uh, what I've come to realize through my personal experience, right? I can only speak about what I've experienced, what I've come to understand, um, is that the disease of addiction does not discriminate. From Yale or jail, the White House or the outhouse, the results are all the same. My mother's a nuclear physicist on the board of Mercy Hospital. Just retired after 53 years of gainful employment, second longest employer in Mercy Hospital history. My brother today currently is a, uh, uh, an, an attorney in the White House who practices pensions and benefits. Mm. My father never held a job a day in his life. He taught me one thing in life, if and when I go to prison, how to conduct myself. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, he died as a direct result of a disease of addiction. Mm. Me, on the other hand, I, I wanted to be a professional skateboarder. I got my first skateboard at the age of seven. Um, and that night when my mother put me to bed, she said, Brandon, what do you want me to do with the skateboard? I said, I want it in bed with me. She said, why? Because if I die, I want it to go with me. Right? Like I, I knew the moment that board touched my hand, I was going to be a professional skateboarder. I ate it. I breathed it. I slept it. I dreamt it. 
at the age of 15, I'm designing my pro model for Pal Peralta. I'm touring the world with Tony Hawk. I have a private tutor that goes with. At the age of 14, I'm the first skateboarder ever in the world to be endorsed by Gatorade. They're flying me to Chicago to the Quaker Oats building. And they put me on one treadmill and they put Michael Jordan on the treadmill directly next to me. And they put these wires on our in our noses, down our throats, and strap them to our chest. And they give us each Gatorade to see the effects it has on different sports players. Fast forward down uh, the road a little bit. I, I end up in those movies, Jackass, and these TV shows, people love them. And these movies break box office records. Mm-hmm. Fast forward a bit more down the road, I, I end up becoming a New York Times selling author who had written a book on addiction. All right, so I say all that to say that I had goals, I had dreams, I had ambitions. Uh, I, I didn't suffer some like very traumatic experiences as a child that were debilitating to my development in this world. Um, you know, and as a matter of fact, I live with that after school special. I strongly disliked my father, and I hated drugs and alcohol even more because I saw what it made him do to me, to my mother, to my brother, to my sister. Therefore, I actually excelled at everything that I did. Mm. Um, But on the flip side of that coin, right, I I possessed this job, and this job consisted of knowing everything. Therefore, when you told me what I needed to do, I told you I needed to get lost because I know. And after all, my resume stated that I knew some things, right? Because I was successful at a young age. I did things in life that people accredit to being successful or that some even dream of doing. Uh, But in reality, right, on the flip side of that coin, the the fuel that lights my fire that allows me to have this passion to speak wherever, whenever someone allows me to is I was the guy that that walked into his 13th inpatient treatment center uh, after just waking up from being on life support for seven days. My mother had bought me a plot. People had taken life insurance policies out on me. I had been medevac to four different hospitals in four different states from four different overdoses. Uh, My mother had sold three homes to financially pay for me to go to uh, 13. Uh, My mother had sold three homes to financially pay for me to go to two different treatment centers. She had nothing left to give, so she went to God. She simply said, God, please cure him, please kill him, or please kill me. I can't take it anymore. (laughs) Uh, My worldly possessions walking in that 13th inpatient treatment center at the age of 35, freshly off of life support for seven days, consisted of eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, one stick of deodorant. It fit into a bag that doubled as a pillow, a needle, a spoon, a restraining order that my mother had served me, and four cigarette butts that I picked up off the ground. Mm. I was the kind of alcoholic that wanted to kill himself on a daily basis, but I didn't want to hurt myself in the process. I was horrible at suicide because I kept waking up, and I was mm. at a position in life where I was so low in the curve like a skyscraper. Um, I, I, I went and saw my parole officer. She granted me one more opportunity to get the help that I needed. I went to a facility, and, and, and uh, you know, the three previous times I went to this same facility, I would sit in the same intake chair with the same intake woman, and she'd say, okay, Mr. Novak, your insurance covers 90 days. And I would say, in theory, 90 days sounds great, but in reality, I'm more of like a 45-day kind of fellow. (laughs) You know, this time was different. For the first time in my life, I had finally been demoralized in just such a fashion from drugs and alcohol. I had been beaten into a state of reasonableness that when she gives me the same offer that she had given me three previous times, I can't even come back with a counter offer because if I say no, that entails an explanation. I, all I could do was shake my head yes. I had literally, and thank God for this, been beaten speechless by my disease of addiction. Right. Uh, and, and I go in there, and, and, and what I come to understand is, 
is the only motivating factor behind any form of change in my life is, is dictated through the result of a pain, right? I don't change when things are unmanageable. I change when things are unbearable. Right. Um, and, and the pain, that became great enough that I became willing to follow the suggestions. And what happened was walking into that 13th inpatient facility, what I realized is that I went from possessing that job that consisted of knowing everything to coming to the realization that, you know what I know? is that I don't know. And my very best thinking, despite all those successful accolades, put me in this position time after time after time after time. You know, so then paired with the fact that like, I know that I don't know, my very best thinking gets me here time after time. What it allowed me to do was get out of the way of the biggest enemy in this whole game, which is me. Right. Right. So I, I get out of my way. I become willing to become open-minded to say, hey, I can't, but you seem to be able to, because every time I come back here, you guys are here willing to help me. Can you show me how to do it? Why? Because the pain, it became great enough. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Do you think that, you know, I mean, obviously addiction, you know, ran in your family, so there's that element to it, but also, you know, the people will say an addict is one of the most narcissistic people they've ever met. Their ego walks into a room 20 miles before they do. They can't hear anybody. Um, Do you think that you needed uh, maybe the starting with so much success so young, that coupled with addiction, all of those things played a, a role in you just not being able to take you know, the hint that, Hey, you know, you really don't know everything and you need help. Do you think that was a part of it? Uh, you're completely a hundred percent spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so here's the deal. I've been diagnosed as an addict or an alcoholic, right. And, and one of my many attempts of checking myself into treatment, right. So I've been diagnosed as an addict and alcoholic. All that simply means is that I'm defiant by nature. I hate authority. And I will never conform unless it becomes my idea. <laughs> Paired with the fact that I possess that job that consists of knowing everything, tell me what I need to do. I tell you why you need to F off because I know. Right. Right. Now you pair that with the fact that, that, that this is my opinion. What I'm about to say is my father was an addict. His father was an addict. Right. I believe I was genetically predisposed to addiction because my mother's not an addict. My brother and my sister who are by different gentlemen, by different men are not addicts. You know, so... So I had that going and then paired with the fact that I had did things in life that people accredit to being successful, happy, or some even dream of doing. My resume stated that I was successful, that I knew some things, you know what I mean? Right. So, so and I had a whole lot of things going on that contributed to the, to the fact. And then you're right. My ego, my ego was right. insanely out of control. It's a killer. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm dealing with, with, I'm dealing with someone right now where, you know, I had to say, knock it off. What you're doing is having a negative impact on my entire organization. So knock it off. And yeah, they I have, mean, all ego is. They, can't, they can't hear what I'm saying. They're angry at me because of what I yeah. said, all those things, because no one can tell them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if you're having this much of an issue and you're, you know, only a century or a quarter of a century old, then you, oh, oh, you're going to have an interesting uh, experience in life, my friend. <laughs> yeah, a long road ahead of him or her, you know, because the reality yeah. is, is what my ego is. It's very simple. All my ego is, is me easing God out. And, mm-hmm. and look, here's the deal. I had no shot 
I had no dog in this fight until I had the spiritual experience, which would allow uh, my desire to be lifted, right? Mm. Uh, to want to drink or drug. Uh, you name it, I had tried it to lift the desire, rid me uh, of, of, of my disease, right? Um, I, I had moved to Paris. I had moved to London. I had moved to Finland. I had moved all over the United States. I had changed women, homes, careers. Until I had that spiritual experience would allow me to lift the obsession or rip me the desire to want to drink or drug, I could not do this thing on my own. Right. So what that means is left to my own devices, I'll drink and I will drug. What my own devices look like is this. Brandon only attends Brandon's Anonymous. Brandon <laughs> only sponsors Brandon. And Brandon is Brandon's God. And right. now for the life of me, how the hell am I back on the corner of Eastern Avenue and Patterson Park selling my body for $40 to get another bag of heroin to anybody that will buy? Right. Because like I'm running the show now, I believe. I deserve the accolades of all the hard work that I've put into this. When the reality is, is I, I, you know, I start taking credit for this. I built this. Now I'm in control. Right. When I'm in control of my life, I put it into a needle and jam it right into my arm. What do you think? I've I want seen your, you do it. Yeah, I want to get your opinion on something. Do you think there's there's all this uh, work out there in the world about social media and it becoming an addiction that's almost as or it or is as awful as heroin. Some people don't believe that's true. Some people do. And it's actually going to be entered into the DSM as social media addiction. And mm. I have seen people so addicted to social media that they destroy their career, their friendships, their everything, because they cannot stop creating this persona of I am God on social media. Mm -hmm which has nothing to do with their real life. So I just wondered sure. what your thoughts were about that. Well, it sounds like you're a bit more privy to information about this topic than I am or have been. Um, my initial reaction or thought to what you, you know, gave to me is, is I don't believe that it's as destructive as heroin. Again, right. I don't know as many cases as you do, but mm -hmm. I, I believe it could have the potential to get there, right? right? The reason why I say that is because today in the nation, 192 192 people today in the nation will die as a direct result of an opioid overdose, right? So I don't think that will happen as far as social media overdose today. Um, that, that number I gave you, that's worse than the peak of the AIDS outbreak. It's worse than the Vietnam War. But on the other hand, I, I do believe that it causes, it causes a lot of uh, dysfunctional relationships. It, it yeah. causes a lot of people to be disconnected, disassociated with the reality. Yes. Life, and then they start living in this fantasy world, which never plays out well, you right. know, because I believe humanity is, is, is connection to each other, you know, right. um, the things that are going on around us. And I, I think that it could absolutely, you know, it's definitely an addiction and, and people definitely live vicariously through that and right. the likes that they get. How many likes do I get? Which means that's how I feel about myself. And that's right. very fucking superficial. Yep. <laughs> you know? Totally. Um, no, it's so not real. I believe it's going. Yeah, no, no, no. So I, I, I don't. Yes, it's, it's a bad thing, absolutely. And I, and I don't think it's as bad as heroin. Uh, right. But again, I don't know as much as you seem to about it. But it could, you know, get there. I feel like it's, you know, it's it's not as bad as ingesting a drug into your body. But if you are already prone to addiction. And mm -hmm. that becomes another way for you to play out your addiction. Yeah, it, or, it or to escape the reality that, yes. that, 
that you have created for yourself because ultimately that's all my addiction was right right uh, I, I had sunken so low into the grips of addiction um but without fail every time I put that needle into my arm, that pill in my mouth, that bottle down my throat, that line up my nose. And every time without fail, the delusional effect is produced, which would allow me to escape the reality that I had created for myself. Therefore, not only was it like tolerable, it was almost pleasurable to be homeless. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I you were, you were the king of reality management, your own reality yeah. management. Yeah. And, and no matter how bad it got, I, I, I shoot up enough heroin, I sip a little, enough cocaine, uh, eat enough pills, drink enough wine, the delusional effects produce, which allows me to escape the reality that I, Brandon Novak, have created for myself. And now I'm okay with this. And then what happens is the high starts to wear off, the drunk starts to fade away, the pills stop to work, that moment of clarity starts to seep in. And then I'm like a stranger in my own skin trying to figure out who to let me in and why. And now I need my solution, which is a, a, a substance. Right. That in, you know, so it's just a, simply a wash, rinse, repeat. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So what did you, how did you handle people in your life that, you know, told you, you have got to like, you know, no, no sugarcoating it anymore. Just straight up tell you, mm-hmm. you are going to die. You know, how did you, I, I, I can only imagine how you handled them in the beginning because you already said you wanted mm-hmm. to you know, you told them to go F off, but as you got closer yeah. to this place of humility and acceptance, mm-hmm. yeah. which we all, I mean, yeah. the, the quicker you can get to your knees in humility, no matter what you believe in terms of religion, that's, that's your yeah. ticket to actually making sure. a change. Absolutely. But how did you handle those people that had done that at that point, at that stage? You know, life has a funny way of right-sizing me. I can speak for me. I'm not going to make a broad general statement there, but life has a way of right-sizing me and bringing me back into reality. And and what happened was, again, the pain had became great enough that when I walked into that 13th inpatient facility, the willingness had appeared as a direct result of the gift of desperation. And, and let me try to paint this picture of what that looks like. I, I walk into this facility and and I had gotten robbed before I walked in. I tried to buy some heroin. The, the, the guy saw fit to rob me as opposed to give me the drugs. And when they robbed me, they ripped my, my clothes basically off of me. And, and I, I had no underwear on. And so my clothes were tied on. My pants were tied on literally by a shoestring. Mm-hmm. Um, my shirt, I was the only button that was top button was my very top button. They had ripped my shirt off. And I, and I had these shoes on with one shoestring. And I walk into this facility, and there's this 19-year-old kid working. And he said, Mr. Novak, you're back. And he's very happy. He's very joyous. And at this point, nothing is, 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 is happy with me. I, right. I, and I can't understand why anyone else is happy. <laughs> and, and, and I said, I said, aren't you a genius? You don't miss a beat, do you, boy? And he said, well, Mr. Novak, I'm sorry to inform you, but your clothes are not rehab-oriented. <laughs> you need some underwear. You need some sweatpants. You need some slides. Now, I told you... Uh, I, my life at this point in time is consumed by the getting and using and finding ways and means to get more. I don't, I don't find imaginary dressers in, in, in the alleys of Baltimore city and right. to wash these imaginary underwear that I own and put them in. I don't do that. I, right. I get high. So, so I, I look at him and I say, I, I don't have any underwear. He said, well, come downstairs to the basement of this donation. Uh, we're come downstairs to the basement. We're going to go into this donation room. Now, my mother's a nuclear physicist. My brother's an attorney in the White House. My father dies a direct result of the disease of addiction. Uh, first skateboarder endorsed by Gatorade, hanging out with Michael Jordan, touring the world with Tony Hawk, 
designing my pro model at the age of 15. I have a private tutor that flies with. Uh, I've been in movies that break box office records. I'm a New York Times selling author who's written a book on addiction. Right now, now, now that sounds very like appealing. But on the flip side of that coin, I've now just walked into my 13th inpatient treatment center. Just woke up from being on life support. Uh, I'm standing in the basement with a 19-year-old kid <laughs> as he thumbs through these boxes of donations looking for a pair of second, third, fifth, 10-pan used underwear. And I'm praying to God that he finds them. Right. right? So the pain had became willing, the pain had become great enough that I'm now willing, and not only willing, but very excited and praying to God that he finds me used underwear. Right. Right. Now, what happens is he does not find me used underwear, but what he finds me is a, a pair of size 40 women's sweatpants with no drawstring, a woman's tank top, and a pair of size 13 Jesus sandals. <laughs> now, I, I'm not a woman and I don't wear a size 13, but, but two very imperative things happened in the basement of that rehab as that 19-year-old tech looked for used underwear for me. The first thing that happened is I went from possessing that job that consists of knowing everything to coming to the realization that, you know what I do know? That I don't fucking know. Right. And my very best thinking puts me here time after time. Despite all that successful stuff, this is what I got with my thinking. This is where it leads me. And number two... I was met. I remember I told you I had no dog in this fight until I had that spiritual experience. I was met by the God of my understanding as a direct result of the gift of desperation. Pain became great enough. I had became willing and I, and and I had taken the woman's clothing and I ran upstairs. I got a shower. I got that Baltimore city smell off me Mm -hmm. and I was never so excited to put women's clothing on in my life. You know? So now what I'm trying to say is like, remember the way of the the, the world has a way of right sizing me. Yeah. (laughs) I have a 19 year old tech handing me women's clothes and I've never been so grateful in my life. Right. Despite how much I dislike him (laughs) it now is about principles before personalities. <laughs> it's not personality before principles. It's principles before personalities as a direct result of enough pain. So what the is willingness it appears, and I have started to follow anything you suggested because I knew that my way didn't work. So what made you decide? I know there was a long road, but what made you decide you wanted to work in? the addiction treatment industry. And let me preface that with, I've interviewed many, many people, former NFL players, you know, you name it. And they, you know, they fall from grace, quote unquote, if that's what, you know, some Mm -hmm. people call it. And then they want to get into the addiction treatment industry. And some do a fantastic job with that. And some that I've known uh, want me to invest in their uh, urine testing facility so that they can sure. make bank. And I'm like, man, you know, I, I, I was in that. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. I can't okay. stomach that. So what I made you want <laughs> I don't meet either. So I'm like, I don't care if you this play is- football, dude, who cares? I'm not investing yeah. in drug screening thing that is illegal, but well, we yeah. wish it was more illegal than it is. But what made you sure. want to get in it and be one of the good guys in this field, which is fraught with I, I, a lot of BS? It's really, it's really easy. I never wanted to be in it. <laughs> I had no <laughs> desire to do what I'm doing. Here's right. the reality, right? I'm not clever enough to paint myself this picture for which I reside in right now, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not. I told mm-hmm. you, left to my own devices, I put this whole thing into a bottle, a needle, or a pill. And right. I shoot it, I swallow it, or I drink it. The reality is, this is how it happened. Uh, I I go to that 13th inpatient treatment center. From there, uh, 
I successfully stay in treatment for 90 days because that's what they suggested, right? I'm telling you, the willingness appeared. I was going to do whatever they said because I wasn't scared of death. What I was scared of was not dying, waking right. up tomorrow and doing things against my will to get 10 more dollars for another bag of heroin, right? right? That's what scared me. That was hell. Death was yeah. welcomed. I wasn't one of those people. So what happens was I, I successfully completed that 90-day treatment center. And I got a sponsor. While I was in the treatment center, I started working the steps because that was something I'd never done. And I get a sponsor and he says, well, I lived in a sober living house for one year. I suggest you do that. So from the 90-day treatment center, I went directly to a sober living house for one year. Now, my ego and my pride and my humility would not allow me to go get a quote-unquote normal job, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So my people recognize that pattern because I'd always say, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then I just would. And then it was always a wash, rinse, repeat. So they said, okay. So they had secured or procured me a job uh, uh, at a diner, right? Mm -hmm. So immediately leaving uh, the, uh, the treatment center, I went to the sober living house and I started uh, as a dishwasher the very next day at this diner. I'm a 35-year-old I'm a, I'm a addict in recovery who did some things in life that people equate to success or happiness, some even dream of doing. Now I'm a 35-year-old addict, um, alcoholic, washing dishes in a, in a breakfast diner for $6 an hour under the table next to a 15-year-old kid, right? And, and that really taught me humility. And from there, I got a promotion to waiting tables, right? And, and that job was one of the foundations of my recovery. It taught me accountability. It taught me how to take pride in anything that I do, right? And it taught me to, to learn how to live. It, it acclimated me back into society, right? Because for so long, the abnormal had become the normal. I was living on that animalistic level that I didn't understand that you wash your clothes every day, that you brush your teeth every day, that you shower in the morning or the night. What, yeah, I, didn't, I don't know how to make a bed. Right. You know, for the, first, for the first month in that sober living house, I washed my clothes with dishwashing detergent. And they kept coming out bleached, and I didn't know why. And I was too embarrassed to ask someone why until one of the guys that lived in the house saw me doing that. And he said, you can't do that. <laughs> Point of the story is I was so disconnected from reality, I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but so I get that job. I, I decide that I want to – I want um, I, I, my, so my people said, we're not going to give you um, – we're not going to pay because I had some money still saved. When you say your people, explain that to listeners so they know what you're talking about. My, my manager and my agent. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Um, and I still had some money saved and I would call my manager and say, Hey, look, I need you to, to write a check for one sixty five a week or six sixty a month for my rent in my sober living house. He said, no, what we're going to do is you're going to pay your own rent. Meaning the job that we got helped you get, you're going to, you're going to pay your rent with the money that you make from that job. Mm -hmm. Right. You're going to buy at the time I smoked. I don't smoke anymore, but you're going to buy your own cigarettes. You're going to buy your own groceries. You're going to buy your own bus pass. You're going to open up your own bank account because I always had like a woman do it for me. It was just a weird thing. Right. Um, and, and, and what happens was I started saving up money. I was paying weekly, 165. Then I started paying biweekly. Then I started paying monthly. Then I opened up a debit account. And, and then I started occurring money in there. And before I knew it, I had like $1,000. And I decided I wanted to, to get a, my first ever credit card. So they allowed me to get a pre-secured credit card. That pre-secured mm -hmm. credit card turned into a credit card. That credit card turned into like a credit score that was really good. And then mm -hmm. I was able to like buy my own home. But how I ended up in the treatment center world 
is, is while I'm living in this treatment, while I'm living in the sober living house, someone had asked me to come speak at a candlelit vigil and, and someone filmed it and it started making its rounds on Facebook. Now I'm still washing dishes. I'm still waiting tables. I'm completely content with life. I have no idea about this treatment center world uh, work. I, I don't, I don't even know it exists. And, and then I get a phone call from someone at Banyan. They say, Hey, would you be willing to come speak to our clients? And I said, absolutely. They said, well, when would you like to do it? And I said, the reality is during this conversation, three people have died due to an overdose. So if it were up to me, I'd be there yesterday. And they said, wow, okay, look, uh, we're going to get back to you. Uh, they, they get back to me and I'm going to go out there next week. Right. So, so they fly me down there next week. Now I believe I'm just there to speak to the clients. The first day they give me a tour of all the facilities. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is rather extreme. Are they about to ask me for a donation? I mean, for Christ's <laughs> sakes, I'm only here to speak to the clients. Right. Um, and you have money exactly. to do all this stuff. Yeah. You just yeah. You well, are only using the money that you earn from washing dishes to create this new yeah. life for yourself. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because my people would give me my money. Like, it was just kind of a, a lesson they were teaching me in, okay. in life, which I did. I needed, right? Um, and, and then the next day... They have me speak to the clients and, 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 and when I finished speaking to the clients and it was a surprise to the clients, the clients did not know that I was coming in. They said there was a surprise. So, so when I was done speaking, this kid puts his hand up in the bag and he said, Novak, I hope I don't offend you. But literally two days before I came here, me and three of my buddies were sitting around getting high and you were the topic of conversation. And we were saying that you were nothing but a junk box and you'll never be anything but a junk box. And to see you standing here today, sober, giving us a message of hope, promise, and freedom that does not consist of a drink or a drug, blows my mind, right? Now, see, remember what I said in the beginning, when I'm an addict, I'm an alcoholic, all that means is that I'm defiant by nature, I hate authority, I'll never conform unless it becomes my idea. Um, what I try to do is live my life through social media, through reality, through day-to-day -day relationships in a form of attraction rather than promotion. Interviews like this, so people can hear it and say, if that guy can do it, right. there's no reason why I can't. And then all of a sudden, guess what happens? We or they excel at a rapid pace because it was their idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's really right. simple. Um, so, so that meant the world to me when this kid said that because I say because as addicts what we're doing is we're prone to act off impulse we think we do and, and God forbid and it's probably going to happen there's going to come a point in time in that kid's life and or his stay in treatment where he's going to become overwhelmed and he's going to want to leave or he's going to want to get high and every time we leave treatment every time we get high 99.9% .9 of the time we regret the decision we had made of impulse so I thought to myself thank God because there's going to come a time where this kid wants to leave and he can revert back to the guy that he swore was going to die with a needle in his arm and say, if that guy can do it, maybe I can. And maybe he won't leave. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and, and, and so then the last day, we go out to dinner and, and uh, I'm good friends with Chris Herring. And, and I always wanted to do what Chris Herring did. Chris Herring played for the, the Boston Celtics, the Denver Nuggets. As a matter of fact, when I was in treatment, they played his video, and it was the first time that I had cried in years. Mm. And again, attraction rather than promotion. I said, if I could, A, I could relate to that guy, and B, I said, if he can do it, I can fucking do it. Right. And, and I always wanted to do what he did. 
right? And, 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 and to put that into a format that the listeners can understand is like, in the jackass world, I'm the talent. They fly me in, I film my scene, and I leave. But there takes a whole team of people to make that happen. You got to get flights. You got to get locations. You got to get permits. You got to get camera crews. You, you, you have to get hotel rooms. Like, so I wanted to do the same thing in this world. I wanted to fly in. I wanted to speak my story. And, and I wanted to, like, you know, do that. But right. I didn't know how to get a non-for-profit. I didn't know how to get a treatment center. I, I don't know anything about this treatment center world. So it's just kind of a, a, a dream of mine that I don't really talk about because I don't even know how to get into it. I'm still washing dishes, waiting tables, living in the sober house. So after Banyan tours me at the facility, I speak to the clients. They, they show me everything. The very last day, we're about to have dinner with them, the owner. And I say to the guy who's my handler, the guy who's driving me around, I, I say, I want to do what Chris does. Mm. And he said, well, I don't know. Talk to the owner. And I don't know. So I go down and, and I say to the owner, I say, look, the only dumb question is the one not asked. I would <laughs> like to do what Chris Herring does. And he said, well, Brandon, we didn't fly you down here for anything. So they already had that plan for me, mm. unbeknownst to me. Okay. You know, again, I tripped and fell into this world. I had, this was not my intent. What I've learned in my sobriety throughout my spiritual experience is when I want to make my God laugh, I tell him how my day is going to go. <laughs> um, they say, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I hit that a billion times over. And this was not my intention to end up where I did today. <laughs> I, I've right. done nothing to get here except get out of my own way. So how, and you definitely, you know, got the lesson of humility, which is fantastic. I, I remember when I was the CEO of my own company and I went and worked as a receptionist at a chiropractor's office for, and I just traded out for work on my back. And for six yeah. months, I had to tell everybody that came in that I was a CEO of my own company. And then I found, <laughs> right. you know, like people are coming to get an adjustment. And yeah. I'm like, I really run my own company. You know, this is not my, yeah, but I remember I chose to do that. And I finally, whatever the, you know, the message was, I finally went, nobody gives a shit whether you own yeah. your own company. Who cares totally. if you're a receptionist? Like what happened that you, got to this place and it, it was fear, you know, it was fear. I was living with an addict, my, my wonderful, amazing ex-husband, but, um, you know, that's what I needed to do for me to get back to those, you know, learn some humility and, and stop yeah. worrying about this stuff that doesn't matter and be someone of service. And now I do this work with, you know, our network talking about mental health and addiction because it's being of service. You know, that's but it, it. That's it takes it. a long time and winding roads for people to get there, though. It really and some people don't, uh, unfortunately. I, I had no idea that this is where I would end up, you know, and, <laughs> and the reality is, is if I would have put my hand up, you know, at the age of seven, when I got that first skateboard and, and said what I wanted to do with my life, I assure you, this would it be would it. not be me sitting here Monday morning doing an interview with you on a mental health network, right. talking about the disease of addiction and giving a message of promise, hope and freedom. That right. was never what I wanted, never what I thought about, never what I dreamed of doing. <laughs> but now I can promise you this, I, I'd rather be nowhere else in the world doing nothing else in the world. Right. That's how I feel too. And people you know. are like, why did you spend your life savings on creating this network that no one cares about? This is before mental health became super popular to talk about. I was yeah. like, because for some reason, this is what I'm supposed to do. That's and it, man. Whatever. That's it. 
but yeah. And you know what I might, what I'm supposed to, this is what I'm supposed to do today. Next yeah. week might be something completely different. That's I don't know. True. That's true. That's, That's the beauty true. of life. Exactly. So where do you, I mean, I'm not going to say, where do you want to go from here? Cause everybody asked that. So um, in terms of uh, one, one final question for you, a lot of sure. my friends that are celebrities in one way or another in whatever genre they're in you know they could Uh be a celebrity in the programming world whatever it is i do have a friend that is and every time he goes to japan he's mobbed Mm -hmm. but no one else Mm -hmm. on the planet knows or cares who he is it's kind of funny how how celebrity works in its different pockets but what i find interesting is some of them that have tried to break away and get help their people, you know, their managers, their handlers, and so on, don't want them to get that because then the revenue changes or the revenue stops sure. and starts again. So how mm-hmm. did you get so lucky to have that kind of management team that actually cared enough to put the revenue side aside so that you'd get help? Because things truly got so bad that like, even the people that partied with me suggested that I get help. Like (laughs) no one condoned or justified my behaviors or actions anymore. Like nobody, even the bottom of the barrel was like, you got to do something like, you know, there was no more value in me or to me provided I keep living the way I was living. They have a thing called like celebrity death pool that they do every year where people actually place bets online on the celebrities that they believe will die. Uh, and, and like I had made that two, three years in a row. You know what I mean? Wow. Like people were, you know, people weren't wondering if I was going to more just like when. Betting on when. Know, and, yeah. And kind of getting their affairs or my affairs and their affairs in order, you know? So they were already so prepared there was, for there to be no revenue. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that, and whatever was there at the time was like fleeting to say the least. Right. Right. So yeah, yeah that, that wasn't even an issue or concern. <laughs> wow. That's so fascinating. Well, tell, I know you mentioned Banyan, but tell our listeners where they can find out about this treatment center and where they can find out more information about you. Yeah. If you could just go to my website, it's all one word, Brandon. BrandonNovak.com, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-N-O-V-A-K.com. Or if people need help, they can call me and and either me or one of my team members will take their call and, 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 you know, do what we can do to help them if they find themselves in a position where they can't see past that bag, that bottle, that needle, that pill, or some mental health disorders. Right, exactly. Uh, and you and that phone number. number is, yeah, yeah, go yeah, for it. Yeah, that, that phone number is 610-635-9092. Now, again, I'm only human. I can only take so many calls. But if I don't take the call, my team members will, and, and we'll get you the appropriate help that, that we can find for you, depending upon whatever your position or predicament is. Mm, that's fantastic. Well, I'm so glad that I got to... Um speak with you and I'm glad that you, you know, agreed to do some other shows in the network and we'll do whatever we can to support what you're doing as well. It's fantastic. Thank you for, uh, for giving me the, the platform to share my, my views. I really appreciate it. I'm grateful for it. Absolutely. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. 
I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight. Good boy.